0: steering you into the Christmas season and reminding you of the reason for the season. Here's Dr. Michael Yusuf with Leading the Way.
1: How much do you love Jesus? Do you love Him enough to give Him the first fruit of the 10% off the top and then as He blesses you to give more offerings and more and more and more so that He may keep on blessing you? When God loved, He gave. Not 10% of himself, not a token of himself, not the leftover crumbs, <laughs> and not the gift that nobody wanted, uh, not a re-gifting, not a, what he bought at a sale at a discount price. No, he gave his all.
0: In just the past few days, the sights and sounds of Christmas have multiplied. And so has the message of gift-giving and gift-buying. Up next on Leading the Way... Dr. Yusuf not only offers to look at the gifts of that first Christmas, but also the response to those gifts. A perfect message from God's Word, as the Christmas season accelerates to full speed. Join listeners worldwide now for Dr. Yusuf's message, He Loved, Therefore He Gave.
1: We know that the Word of God tells us, because God loved, therefore He gave. For God so loved the world that He gave. His only begotten Son. And God's love was not partial. Therefore, His giving was a total giving. His love was not a seasonal love or occasional love. Therefore, He gave Himself completely. Now, the irony about Christmas that I have never really been able to figure it out, and the very one whose birthday we celebrate <laughs> is left out in the cold while we give each other gifts. I'll never figure that one out. And this season, in which compounds the irony, really, in this season in which we focus and celebrate God's gift of salvation, (laughs) we find the highest number of sad people, lonely people, depressed people, and disappointed people. All of this, I am convinced, is because we have failed to understand the very heart of God. The whole message of the Bible from cover to cover can be summarized this way. Because he loved, therefore he what? Amen. You know and I know that you can give without loving, but you can never love without giving. Did you get that? The level of your love is a barometer of your giving, and your giving is a barometer of your loving. On that first Christmas... God demonstrated His level of love. He manifested how much He loved. And therefore, He gave His only begotten Son. And from the beginning of time, God wants His children, those who claim to know Him, those who claim to love Him, to learn this lesson. Because you love, therefore you give. For those of us who have been the recipients of God's grace, who have been the recipients of forgiveness of our sins, that when we came and confessed, we received it gladly. Those of us who are recipients of the mercy of God, those of us who are recipients of the promise of eternal life, that the grave has been defeated once and for all, and death is no longer an enemy. For those of us have no option but to be like our Lord and give because we love. If you love Him, you give Him back, from what he has already given you. Now, there are some people who as soon as they hear something about giving or hearing the message about tithing or giving 10% of what you have, they immediately said, oh, Brother Michael, that was the law, but now we live under grace. Now my standard answer is really very simple. Should grace make us more thankful or less? Should grace make us more expressive of our love for him or less? Should grace make us more generous or less generous? But even so, the principle of 10% giving that the Bible talks about was established 400 years before the law was given to Moses, 400 years. When Abraham encountered Melchizedek, a word that is made of two Hebrew words, Malki, my king, Sedeq means righteousness, my righteous king, or my king is righteous, which is a type of Christ. It's the Christ before he was incarnate, who he appeared many times in the Old Testament. When he encountered Melchizedek, he gave him 10% of all that he had. Why? As an act of worship, as an act of loving, as an act of surrender, as an act of submission, as an act of acknowledging His ownership as an act of acknowledging that all the blessings we have come from his hand. As an act of gratitude for his graciousness. 400 years before the law was given. Because Abraham loved, therefore he And you know, obviously, not only that, but Abraham did something right. He taught his children the principle of 10% giving. He taught Isaac. Isaac taught his son Jacob. And so we see Jacob in the wilderness encountering God. And Jacob at that time when he meets face to face with Yahweh, he says to him, "Everything, of everything that you put in my hands, I'll give you 10%. 10% of everything. <laughs> not 10% of the leftover, <laughs> not 10% of the crumbs, not 10% after you pay your bills, not 10% of the profits, no, no 10% of everything." Because Jacob loved, therefore he Then came the law. Now, most people think the law dictates that we give 10% back to the Lord. But I wonder how many of you know that the law actually says that you give 23 and one third of a percent. They were giving the first tithe to the Lord, the second tithe to the Levites, and every third year they gave a third tithe. And you, you try to, mathematicians, you brilliant mathematicians, count that out, it's 23 and one-third of a percent. When you go home, read in the book of Numbers, chapter 18, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 14, go and read it. And when Israel turned away from God, God said to them before they got into the promised land, he said, remember, when you get prosperous, when you become prosperous in the promised land, there's a temptation waiting for you. And that temptation is that you're going to forget about me, and that forgetting of, of me is going to be reflected on your giving. It's going to be reflecting in this tithing. God warned them ahead of time in the book of Deuteronomy. And sure enough, true to the facts, they get into the promised land, and sure enough, they forget about God. <laughs> when Israel's heart turned away from God, when their love got cold toward God, the first manifestation of that turning away from God was in the tithe. They did not give. They became unfaithful. They became self-focused. And then prophet after prophet after prophet would warn them and will ask them, rebuke and the, their unfaithfulness. They said, Turn back to the Lord, love him with your heart, love him with your possessions. Why? Because they did not love him, therefore they did not give. By the time you get to the prophet Malachi, right toward the beginning of the New Testament and last of the Old Testament. God was totally miffed with his people. I mean, he was miffed. He was not very happy at all in the way they're refusing to tithe and focusing on themselves. And so, God becomes very expressive in the way he described their unfaithfulness. He said, you know what? You're a bunch of thieves. Because they were stealing God's money. Because they were pocketing God's money in their own pockets. And therefore, God said, you're not going to be blessed. Because they took God's money and they spent it on themselves. I wonder how many of God's people who claim to love Jesus in our day like the days of Malachi. I'm talking about those who give to God the crumbs and the leftovers. But even if you're an individual who gives God 10% of your gross income back to the Lord... For many of us, 10% is really a beginning, not an end. The whole concept of slicing of the pie 10 ways, one for God, and nine for me, you know, that is not biblical. It really isn't. i tell you why. It is not biblically accurate. It's not a biblical imagery. I want to tell you why. First, because God is just as interested in the, what you do with the 90% as He's interested in the 10%. Secondly, the whole concept of slicing a pie, which most Christians and most Westerners think about it this way, this concept of a pie is a Western concept. It's not a biblical imagery. Slicing of the pie is too mathematical for God. A Slicing of the pie is too natural for God. It leaves no room for the supernatural to work in our lives. It leaves no room for the life of faith and seeing God doing things that are supernatural or beyond the natural realm. A more biblical imagery would be that of a silo, of a grain silo. And then when you open the tap of the silo to take the first fruit and give to the Lord, what does God do? You see, he has access to the top of the silo. And the pipe that is coming in from the top of the silo is much bigger than the faucet or the the tap or the spigot or whatever you want to call it. And when you place him first, when you give him the first fruit, not the crumbs of the leftover, when you give him the first 10% and then more offering as he blesses you, when you express your love for him, when you praise him... Uh, with your money, when you worship Him with your possessions, when you give Him offering, He has a bigger nozzle pouring into the top of the silo than the one you are pouring out of. He really does. And the more you take, the more He pours. And the more you give, the more He gives. The more you give, the more He gives. In much larger numbers in greater percentages. And that is why the pie is not really a biblical imagery. It leaves God out. (laughs) What is God saying? Listen to me. He's saying, trust God's supernatural intervention. Trust God's supernatural blessings, not in your mathematical formula. Practice living by faith for a change. Trust in God Stop living in fear and in doubt and in worry. Will God provide? Will I have? Will I not have? What is God saying? God is saying that the problem is not the problem of money and possessions. The problem is the problem of the heart. That's what he is saying through his prophet Malachi. He said the problem is the problem of the heart. When your heart is not trusting God to keep his word, to keep His promises, when your heart is not trusting God to be faithful to all of His promises in the Scripture, when your heart is not trusting God to be true to His character, that mistrust is going to be reflected in the giving of money. But it's the problem of the heart, not the money. There's only one God that Jesus named by name. He did not talk about Baal. He did not talk about Ashtaroth. He did not talk about Ashtaroth. All the gods of the Old Testament that he warned him against. But the one God that he mentions by name is Mammon. Well, with all the gods he mentions, Jesus will ever talk about one, and it's Mammon. Because Jesus wanted to warn us that Mammon is his number one rival in the stealing of his children's affection. Mammon is his number one competitor in stealing of his children's hearts. Mammon is his number one antagonist in stealing of his children's love. Mammon is a powerful God who wants you and me to love him more than we love the God who loved us and provided for us, the God who redeemed us, and the God who saved us, and the God who gave himself completely to us, the God who from beginning to end loved, therefore he gave. Mammon wants us to trust him. He really does. He's a God. And he's a rival to Jesus Christ. And he wants us to love him more than we love Jesus. And that is why Jesus goes in to say, no one can serve two masters. You see, they're both masters. Jesus and mammon, they're both masters. And he says, God or mammon? You can't serve both. Who's your master, mammon or Jesus? I have met people who have a lot of money. Mammon is not their god. And I've met people who didn't have much money, but mammon is their god. You see, it has nothing to do with the money. Whether you have it or you don't have it, it has nothing to do with it. The tithe of nothing is what? Nothing. So the issue is not money. The issue is who's the master? I asked, Jonathan, my son, to give me permission to tell you this because it really it just illustrates what I'm trying to tell you. We've all fallen the temptation of a child in thinking that we are the owners, that everything we have, we worked hard for, it's all ours, we belong to us, and we make the decisions, and we deserve it. When Johnny was about six or seven, I can't remember, he used to love french fries. And so whenever we drive driving the car, you know, we go and want to get french fries, I'll go and get him french fries. Invariably, I would try to take one, My goodness, you think I'm committing a murder. <laughs> the biggest crime. Ah, oh, it's mine. Go and get your own. It's mine. I was sitting there thinking, wait a minute, son. I bought you this. <laughs> it's mine. I can cover you with French fries if I want to. I can get half a dozen French fries. I don't eat fried food, but I just, I mean, you know, I couldn't. I just took one. And that's how so many of us in our immaturity think and behave toward God is mine. Well, who gave it to you? (laughs) Whose is it? It's God's. You and I need to change our attitude from being owners to being managers and stewards. We need to change our hearts from being hoarders to being sharers and sowers. From being distrustful of God to fully provide for all of our needs. When the psalmist said, I have been young, now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his children begging for bread. He was justified to what God has done in his life. Trusting in God, trusting his faithfulness, trusting him to keep his promises, trusting him to be true to his character, trusting his willingness, and in fact his desire to bless his faithful children. That's really what God wants to do. He wants to bless His faithful children. Not long ago, I saw a bumper sticker that said it all. (laughs) Tithe if you love Jesus. Any idiot could honk. (laughs) It is amazing to me. It's amazing to me how many people who claim to be Christians, uh, people who claim to trust God for their eternity and with their eternity, but they can't trust Him with their money. That he already gave them anyway. Listen, you can sing until you're blue in the face. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. But if you are keeping the tithe, the money, the Lord's money in your pocket, the Bible is saying you are unfaithful. How much do you love Jesus? Do you love him enough to give him the first fruit of the 10% off the top? And then as he blesses you to give more offerings and more and more and more so that he may keep on blessing you. <laughs> when God loved, he gave. Not 10% of himself. Not a token of himself. Not the leftover crumbs. <laughs> and not the gift that nobody wanted. Uh, not a re-gifting. Not a, what he bought at a sale at a discount price. No, he gave his all. You know, as I re-studied and reread the story of Christmas in Matthew chapter 2, I noticed something. There were three reactions toward that first Christmas, baby in the manger. And you know what I thought? I thought, these are the same three reactions toward Christmas and the Christ of Christmas today, 2,000 years plus since his first birth, since the first Christmas. It's exactly the same three reactions. First, it was the reaction of Herod. As soon as Herod heard that there is a king somewhere is being born, he wanted to get rid of him. He saw him as a rival. He saw him as an antagonist, and he wanted to get rid of the baby. And he tried, but he couldn't. Nobody can. There are people today who are trying to get rid of the Christ of Christmas. They can't. They won't be able to. You know why? Because Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not overcome it. Amen there was a second reaction of the religious leaders. God bless the religious leaders. They were summoned by Herod to come into the palace and to tell him about what the Old Testament, what the Scriptures are saying about the birth of this Christ, the birth of the King of the Jews. And they were ambivalent about Jesus. Religious leaders still ambivalent about Jesus today. They were evasive. They could go either way. They want to see which way the wind is blowing and they're going to go. We have plenty of those in our culture. Then there was a third reaction. And it's the reaction of the magi. These Persian astronomers who as soon as they saw a star in the heavens, they knew that the king of the heavens, that the creator of the heavens is born. And they came long way, difficult way, worship Jesus. Oh, they did not come to worship Him with some empty words. Uh, They did not come to worship Him with empty hands. They did not come to worship Him with faint praise. They did not come to worship Him with some ritualistic religious activities. No, they came to worship Him with very expensive gifts. Somebody speculates that probably those are the gifts they sold in order to finance their trip to Egypt. Remember, for two years they had to escape from Herod's anger and wrath because they came and they gave. Do you know why? Because right worship is only based on right giving. Right worship is only based on right giving. They loved, therefore they gave. <laughs> Out of adoring hearts, they gave. Gold, which represents His sovereign power over their lives. Frankincense, very expensive stuff that uh, they gave in order to declare His intercessory, priestly power and place in interceding with God the Father. And myrrh, which is to declare that the God of very God became man of very man so that he may take the curse of sin upon himself on the cross of Calvary to redeem everyone who would turn to him and believe in him. They loved, therefore they. How much do you love Jesus? How much do you trust him? For those who know Jesus and met God out of mammon in their life and serving mammon, you can turn to him. Say, God, I want to trust you. I want to live the life of faith. I'm tired of life of sight. I don't want pies. I want silos.
0: You're listening to Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef and his message he loved, therefore he gave. If you'd like to find out more about the real Christmas, visit ltw.org Jesus. There are enlightening FAQs there, along with a form to connect with a Leading the Way pastor ltw.org
1: slash jesus The Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest preacher that ever lived, decided to teach by a story, by a riddle, by an illustration. Why? Because a story can help to bring a theory into practice. A story helps us to understand an abstract idea and put it into real life. A story helps us to illustrate a destined thought and make it practical. And that is why he taught with a story.
0: Well, do plan to listen to the next episodes when Dr. Yusuf once again passionately proclaims uncompromising truth on Leading the Way.